Y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. And on this episode, uh, by God, I'm letting John take the wheel again. And I can't believe I'm saying those words. Yes. After how badly it went the last time. (laughs) At least your first words were English this time. That's a big hit. It's a big, big, big ups. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really getting somewhere, John. Hooked on Phonics is doing you right. It's true. Um, yeah, so 10th is coming around, and everyone's talking about it, uh, and how there's a lot of new stuff going on. But John over here uh, has been telling me over and over again about how all this new-new is actually old-old. <laughs> yes, it, it is old. It's old. It's ancient texts. Like, it's all old hat, and... uh here, see, here's the problem, though. Uh, I wasn't here for the old, old. Uh, I only started playing in 8th edition, which is like new Warhammer by most people's definition. Um, so I have none of the context for all that old stuff. Like, that's just way before my time. Uh, so we figured we'd take this episode so that John could really kind of talk through where a lot of these rules previews are coming from. Uh, how they might not be as entirely new as you might think if you're newer to the system. Uh, and then what we think about them. And, like, spoiler alert, largely pretty helpful. Yeah. I mean, as with everything that's talking about, like, spoilers, though. Like, a lot of it, we just very quickly come to a point of, like, oh, that seems promising. I wonder what the rest of the context is. But, you know, what is being on the internet, if not wildly guessing? To create content. Yeah, don't worry. Like, next week, they're going to show off the whole new box set at, like, Warhammer Fest. So, like, we could just be terribly wrong. Oh, my God. Is that next week? Yeah. Oh. All right. Well, brace ourselves. (laughs) This would be fantastic. Uh, I I really hope that box set is, like, a Dominus. I mean, I want Mm -hmm. it to be just, like, a whole bunch of value in a box. Um, so that all Tyranid and Space Marine players can just grab it with reckless abandon. Yes. I agree. Uh, Indomitus, you really saved a lot of money. Like, you could buy multiple halves of that box and still come out well. And, like, Dark Imperium before it, also, yeah. you could... Big stonks for Death Guard and Space Marine players. Like, it was... Especially Death Guard. Wild. Holy crap. Yeah. You yeah. could make it... You could just buy two or three of those boxes and just be set. Yeah, uh, they have not made all starter boxes equal, but for 40k, they normally seem to hit pretty well. So, like, I'm I'm pretty hopeful that this box is going to be, a, like, a whole bunch of cool stuff crammed into one little bit of cardboard. But I guess we'll find out. But Soon. first, <laughs> hobby time in games played. All right, John. Uh, what you been up to? Alright, so... I played a game. I played against Slaves of Darkness. No, I played Slaves of Darkness against Goblins. There we go. Oh, played, okay. Did you that. use the bigger board size? Did use the bigger board size, made for a much okay. more engaging game. It was still like... We were still just holding our breath every time it came time for the double turn. And neither of us double turned each other. But 
it was much more of a game. Like, it was back and forth. We really, like, all the way up until turn four, really didn't know where the game was going. And then by, like, a stroke of luck on my part, I kind of edged ahead. Um, Stole it. The Lord on Cracker Jack, or Cracker Jack, mm-hmm. or whatever. Yep. He's great. Big Gator Rider? Yeah. Monster. Um, but I do think that I need to switch out the, like, Warhammer Underworlds group that I used. Mm-hmm. That came with like the caster and his three dudes. I need to switch that out for two units of Corpus Cabal. Um, I just have to find. I can't for deep find, strike. Yeah, for deep strike, and also just more bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't find Corpus Cabal anywhere. So I got a box. I'm gonna need to find something. To, don't you? Do I've, this I've got a box in that closet behind me. Don't you do this right me. now, John? Right there. Oh, oh. It's it's right right there. You're also gonna have to see if your shop can get the Corpus Cabal as well. Because I would. I love the actual model for Corpus Cabal. Right, like mm-hmm. I, I often like to three D print stuff. It is true. There are some models I think are just worth the money because they look so good. Yeah, Corvus Cabal. Whoever sculpted it was a slam dunk. Yeah, like, like ten out of ten. Golf claps. That's how. That's how GW will keep getting all sorts of my money. Just like almost all of my Slaves of Darkness stuff is just full plastic because it looks great. And honestly, mm-hmm. it was not a hard army to collect. But some of these other forces, whew, they can get. Like Skaven? Who, buddy? I love Skaven. Can't get the GW official stuff because it all looks like trash. And, like, it's expensive and a lot of it looks terrible, which is just yeah. the worst combination. Um, other than that, I've been working on Dark Angels. Many, much Dark Angels. I'm painting I've seen and so building. much printing. Yeah, I've yeah. seen so many progress photos. Yeah, I'm making a very customized force with all, like, special swords and shoulder pads and everything else. Um, the lion got released, couldn't, tried to buy it, couldn't get it. Uh, uh I think about failed. eight people got it. Yeah. So I printed one because I don't want to have to wait. Mm-hmm. I'll probably still buy the actual model once he's like in stock by himself. Cause I you also got, like, love that model, but you got six to eight months before that's a case. Yes. So, um, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Like, have fun with it. Uh, just been working on that. Like, I just have a lot of Space Marine painting to do. Uh, it's been kind of relaxing, because we're... Slaves of Darkness is kind of a thousand things to paint per model. These are just like, uh-huh. dudes, they're very easy. Yeah, when I was painting up my uh, Blood Angels, like, I, when we were going to do a 40k Crusade before everybody was like, hey dog, let's not do 40k Crusade. Uh, I blinked and painted up two units before I even knew what happened. Like, I don't know. You forget how easy space Marines are to paint when you have not painted a space Marine in years. Yes. That, that big armor panels, especially with an airbrush. God, it's so fast. Look, I painted an intercessor squad and I was like, I, I did their base coat of green with like, like a three layer shading. And then like I painted in like the red parts for like their guns and like their shoulder pad, red parts. Then I painted in the metal parts. I looked at it. And I was like, Oh wow! I really only have like one or two more colors left. I'm done. That damn near done. And I've been on this army. I'm not using enamels mm-hmm. uh, because it's a, it's a crutch. But what I am using is Tamiya panel liner because I think it really benefits Space Marines. And boy, howdy, am I right? Mm-hmm. Uh, There's all sorts of little get wedges and stuff you got to get down inside of, and that just makes it much easier. Yeah, it's a it's a good time. So. 
I'm going to keep on working on that throughout this week. I really kind of, I want to have at least most of the army painted for 10th edition release party time. I don't know mm-hmm. if I'll get that goal done, but I think I'll get a lot done. That's awesome. What about, yeah, you? Uh, what are you doing? Uh, I've been doing like no painting. Uh, my allergies are bad. Uh, and like, uh, not like, oh, I got the sniffles, but some days when the trees start to bloom, I mean, John, you unfortunately know this, like I will wake up and try to open my eyes and I cannot open them yep. because they are stuck closed before I even wake up and it gets worse as the day goes on. And that has been kicking my ass for the last week. So like painting has really not been on the table because uh, unfortunately you need to see to paint or whatever. Yeah. So, it is uh, what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I've been listening to audiobooks and building instead. Because I don't need to see all that well to like feel how stuff fits together. Which is really helpful. Uh, so I've been doing 10th edition prep. Much like you have. Um, I have been 3D printing like a fiend. And doing a bunch of building. So I uh, built and started to paint before I got my ass kicked. Uh five orc commandos that I had printed like a long time ago and had sitting around. So now they're primed, they're on bases, they're starting to be painted. Uh, I built six Tal stealth suits, which were 3D printed as well, and got those on bases and glued down so that they could be used. Uh, I got a Tal railgun printed, like the tank hover tank with the railgun, be like, that's uh, printed and almost fully built. Uh, I am mid-process of uh, printing a Tau Transport, the Devilfish. Uh, so that's in process. Uh, I also printed a Custodes Telemon Dreadnought, and it's in pieces. I need to, like, pose and build it. And some Custodes Sagittarum Guard also printed and on, glued on bases. So essentially, I'm not really worried about getting stuff painted for 10th edition release, but I want right. to have options to play with. So that when 10th comes out, the rules drop. There's, you know, a bajillion directions you can run in. Nobody knows what's good. For, like, Custodes and Tau, which are the two forces I'm, like, most excited to play early, I will have as many options as is possible. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. That makes sense. So I'm not really worried about painting them. Although, uh, now that my Gorgon's done, but we are almost through the thousand point month of our AOS Crusade League, and I have not got a single game in, which just sucks. Um, I'm so like, before I know it, now I have to be ready for the 1250 increase, which is almost upon me. Oh God. Yeah. That is unfortunate. I don't even know what I'm going to put in that list. Maybe another caster? Mm, we'll we'll talk, because I think you have a couple of options. Yeah, well, it's hard to say, because I haven't played the 1,000-point list to know what I need. Find uh, find Josh. Bully me into a game. Not a lot of time. I mean... I could try. Or, I don't know, might get wild, play a game when I come down next weekend for Pathfinder. Maybe. Maybe come down Friday. We can talk games. That's my thoughts. Um... But yeah, no games played, but a ton of hobby. But again, as always, like despite the fact that I'm like rattling off, like, oh god, you printed a lot of units. My brain's like, yeah, dude, you didn't do any hobby. Like if 
my brain, if it's not painting, it's like it doesn't want to count it. It's almost like you're obstinate, you know? Like, I know. It is unkind to me. Uh, I did so much hobby. I was staying up late on nights I should not have been staying up late because, like, oh, God, if I just stay up another hour, the print will be done. Yes. And I can start a new print, and then it'll print while I'm in bed, and I can change it before I go to work. Like, you know, you're doing the math. I've done that. The, I've done that. Yeah. I'm really, really trying to knock it out of the park to get <laughs> everything printed. Now, at the final hour, my UV cure, my little UV cure tube has died on me. Which is just the shame. So I've, uh, I've had to order a new one. So I am temporarily halted on 3D printing until I get something to cure my resin. I Wah-wah. mean, you have sunlight. But that's going to take forever, and it's uneven. And it's currently not sunny. Hmm. Go buy a metal can, like a metal bucket from a hardware store, and mm-hmm. then uh, you got to fill the inside with tin foil. Yep. And then you got to put it like a like super glue or hot glue a UV light to the top of it, like the lid, and then cover that lid in tin foil as well. Drop the model down there, plug it in, just let it go. I already have a tube. I just need another UV source. But I just went ahead and bought a wash and cure station. Oh, okay. I didn't get the big old monster one, but got the smaller one. You got the Anycubic one? Yeah. Yeah, they had two sizes. Like, they had, it's the Anycubic 2.0 wash and cure, and they had, like, the mega size if you had a big 3D printer, or the smaller size if you had a small 3D printer. And I got the little 3D printer, so I got the little one. Yeah. Uh, Saved I used myself, to have, like, 120 bucks. I used to have the small one, gave that one to Corwin. Now I use the Plus, because Seth had the Plus. Now it is mine. Mm-hmm. It has aggressors on it currently. Sick. I I'm not printing while we record. Right over there. No, it makes little owl noises. It does. It's like it morning goes, doves. Wee wee. Yeah, it does. That's all you hear in the background while you're on chats with John. Yeah. I love that. It's actually part of my brand now. I don't know if it's part of your brand. <laughs> Hard disagree there, my guy. Uh, but really the question is, are, am I going to hard disagree on uh, the topic? Seth, play the music. All right, John. You're driving this time. I'm oh, in the no. passenger seat grabbing the oh shit handle. Okay? Yeah, grab the oh shit handle because we're going off the cliff. All right, we're just flying straight off. I don't know if the handle's going to help me in this metaphor, no, but no. <laughs> no. I'm we're, praying. We're dying together. It's going to be great. Uh, I always do this would be the end. <clears throat> yes. So <laughs> today's topic is really kind of discussing we've seen a lot of previewed rules for 10th edition and a lot of them are doing a thing that me and Joe did not expect in that they're going back to an older edition and pulling a lot of rules from it. Um, it seems like they're taking some of the 8th and ninth edition rules that worked well, keeping them, and throwing a lot of it away, kind of rehashing some things. Really, the three big ones we're going to talk about today are characters, how they've changed, and how it's almost exactly like 7th edition. Formations, 
or they're calling them detachments, how they have completely changed, gone back to 7th edition, and keywords, which is a thing that's in other games, but also here. Yeah, that's uh, really my context, is like my experience with some of this in other games that I guess came from here originally, or, you know, older game design. Yeah, so first one, we're going to talk about characters and units. It's a very weird mechanic for a lot of people who just started in 8th or ninth to get used to. Because in 8th and ninth, characters are these standalone units and heroes that provide an aura buff often. And like they're murder machines or they do a thing, like cast powers or have like chaplain buffs. But they didn't always used to be like that. They used to just be these cheap little guys that you bought and you put inside of units. And you could put multiple into a unit to make this like really cool super unit called a Death Star. Or you just put them all out throughout your army and have like little duelists running around, which is very fun. Mm-hmm. What I'm glad they've done here is make it to where it's limited to only certain units. I think like Primaris Lieutenant can only go into Intercessors, Assault Intercessors, uh, I think Hellblasters, and that was about it. Yeah, the little foot guy. Essentially, like, Little Foot Lieutenant can go into Little Foot units. Yeah. As um, you would expect. It did not used to be that way. It used to be any Imperium character ah. could go with any Imperium unit. So you could take, like, the Preacher from Guard and the Wolf Priest from Space Wolves and the Sanguinary, like, um, Blood Dude, like, Ancient from Blood Angels and, like, the Iron Hands Tech Marine... You could put it all in a unit of, like, Thunder Hammer, Storm Shield, Terminators, and you could give them, like, a two-up armor save with a two-up involve and, like, a two-up feel-no-pain because you that pulled stuff from vomit. nine books. Oh, God, no. A two-up involve? Yeah. That should be illegal. Yeah. Uh, that does not seem like it'll be the case here. Uh, it looks like you can only put certain units, uh, certain characters in certain units, which makes sense. It adds to the flavor that is having characters with retinues. Um, I think that is the biggest benefit of having this, is you are not going to just have heroes running around on the lonesome. You're going to be incentivized to take a unit for each of the heroes that you bring. Um, with the exception of the Billy Badasses. Yeah. Like the truly, like the biggest, baddest mamajamas on the yeah. field. Well, like, I think that from an army standpoint, you are still going to want to bring units to protect those, like screening units. Mm-hmm. That probably have characters within them as well. Kind of like layers of engagement. Yeah, because, I mean, I was thinking about it. Like, uh, Shadow Sun for the Tau, she, we already know that she's going to be like an independent operator because she's really, you know, she's in a suit. She's super fast. She's the big bad, like, leader of all leaders. Uh, I expect you'll also, I think they said Primarchs will also be sort of independent operators. Yeah. But they'll probably just be, like, individual murder missiles rather than the sort of aura buff pieces that we're so used to now. Yeah. I, well, I think in some instances, I think where it makes sense, like Gilliman is going to still be an aura buff piece, but like the lion won't be. I just don't think he's gonna. He will <laughs> have some sort of benefit to the people around him, but he will be mostly there to jump out of a weird forest puddle and punch someone to death. Uh, I think it'll be the same for like shield captains on jet bikes or uh, Tau... Uh, like Cold Star Commanders or Enforcer Commanders, they'll probably also be independent operators. Yeah. Out doing murder. 
Yeah, I think so as well. And that's that's really the thing I'm excited about. Uh, I love characters and units. I think it's a very, very fun mechanic. And you end up having a lot of fun with some of the rules involved with it. Because back in 7th edition, we had something called challenges. And I really want them to bring it back. Because it's awesome. To be like, I'm going to move my dudes and you're going to move your dudes away so we can make our two dudes fight. These two heroes fight in the middle of this pit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you choose not to and be a coward, you don't get to fight at all. <laughs> run away, Erebus. Run away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's flavorful. It's cool. Yeah. Um, I have thoughts we'll save towards the end, but like, I think depending on implementation, this could be really cool and open up some options. Maybe for heroes that before... Really, the only way some of the heroes made the cut because of the way the game is structured is, like, how lethal they were. Mm-hmm. Because lethality was really the only thing that mattered sometimes during 40k. Um, so, like, a lot of utility heroes just fell by the wayside because the formula was the heroes you take are the ones that make murder good. And anything right. other than make murder good, hmm, probably not going to take them. Well, it's Here, also... though, that is less the case if they have a sick buff that they could give a unit yeah like or a specific keyword like we'll talk talk later like that was a big thing in seventh edition is if you take this character you provide this keyword to this unit normally wouldn't have it and that is very good uh as we've seen in a song of ice and fire adding a you one unique ability to a unit completely changes its role yeah absolutely and uh it's great it's just it's just good um, the next thing that we'll talk about is what used to be called formations, boo, and what are now called attachments, big ups. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard horror stories of formations. So what made formations like, terrible? They were like spooky campfire tales around the game store. Like, <laughs> Yeah, so what made formations terrible before was that they were just a, like there was a Tau one, right? I think it was called the Broadside Brigade or something like that. Where you were uh-huh. required to bring, in order to bring this detachment, like three units of broadsides, uh, a railgun tank, and like you could bring up to six crisis suits units and two commanders. Right? That's okay. Most of an army. That's all, almost my entire force. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think you could also bring a riptide in, in that. But it would have right, like. Now that is like my entire army. <laughs> okay. It would have had a very specific set of you can bring these units in these quantities. And you have to bring these units in these quantities. But the buff they gave was normally wild. I think that one was just straight up plus one to wound across everything. Holy. Yeah. Jesus. Um, the Space Marine one from back then was like, we called it the Razorback parking lot. Because it was, it's called the Battle Battalion? John, are you telling me you don't remember every rule you've ever read? No, but I do remember you why poser. it was a nightmare. Because I hated it. <laughs> The, you had to bring a captain, you had to bring a lieutenant, you had to bring three units of tactical space marines, and then you also had to bring three razorbacks or rhinos, and then you had to bring a drop pod, and you had to bring a unit of devastators, like, you basically had to bring a little bit of everything, right? Mm -hmm. But what you got for benefits for that was that you never had to pay for upgrades for anything. So you didn't have to pay for, yes. And back then, rhinos and razorbacks didn't count as data sheets to get, they counted as upgrades. So, when you brought cool, 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 a 100-point cool, cool, cool. unit of Space Marines, it came with a free ride. They got a free whip. So, you would take a Razorback, 
You're wearing a five-man squad of tactical marines with a Razorback. Put that squad in there. Give them a last cannon. Give the last can- uh, the Razorback a last cannon. Give it a hunter-killer missile. You don't have to pay for anything. So you would basically sit down to a game with like a 2,000-point army that was more like a 4,000-point army. Every single guy went on Pimp My Ride. It just ended yeah. up with the most incredible thing coming out the other side. Like, it was at the end of 7th no. edition, so it existed for like a total of three months before it was just gone. Hallelujah, uh, but how, I just, sometimes I question how that hits a table. Like, yeah, how did yeah. this get past rules design? <laughs> yeah, so that, uh, that brings me to my favorite thing about the new detachments, and that is there is not... It is not that. It is instead, you are limited to what options you can pull from. Like I say, it makes your unit pool smaller or larger depending on what detachment you're playing. And then it also consolidates what enhancements and just in general you can take. So like relics, warlord traits, spells, yada. So you can't mix and match necessarily. Yeah, like you, you are forced to play within this detachment's rules as like a sub-faction, which I think is a much smarter way of implementing that. Um, and mm-hmm. pre- like, yes, it's going to prevent comboing, but we don't need to have some of those combos. <laughs> like, I think some of those end up just being not fun for people. Well, and it seems like instead of comboing in like detachments, instead they've moved the combos to heroes going into units. Like that's yes. your combo space. Yes. That's where you get to like sort of play alchemist and <laughs> mix all sorts of shit together in weird ways and just not there and in a balance standpoint it's much easier to just be like oh this like character can go in these six units oh we didn't realize that if you put it in this one unit it breaks the entire game well they just can't go in that unit anymore boom yeah you've you've made the game more balanced easier without having to change points or adjust a bunch of different things just a much much easier um the other benefit i think that this brings is you know the six Stratagems on the page. It's a two-page spread. It's simple. It's easy. It's it's fun. Mm-hmm. But I think it'll allow them to update armies without full codex releases. Yeah, uh, I like think that, putting out different two-page spreads. Yeah, something that I really liked in seventh edition was releasing like Warzone books, like and did it in sixth edition, fifth edition two for through Forge World. So like uh, the Taros campaign, which is Tau versus Guard, had like rules for playing a Taros Tau fat like detachment or like a Taros guard detachment. And you could have those two forces fight each other with those detachments in there. And they had rules like terrain rules and battlefield rules and then army rules for playing that campaign. Um, mm-hmm. And I would love to see that come back. Cause I think that's a lot of fun from like a narrative sense, right? Like they try to do that with crusade, but imagine if instead you're like, Oh, I want to play like a desert, fighter style tau force and you're like i'm gonna play taros i'm gonna play that detachment because that's what they do Mm -hmm. Uh, i feel like they've played around with this space even in like eighth and ninth with stuff like vigilus Mm -hmm. where they had armies of renown in there but for like the armies of renown just never seemed to catch on though which is kind of the issue no either i don't know if they were boring or if they were just not compelling i mean they were I mean, or maybe both, but like they were a thing that dropped with more army options while I was really heavily, heavily, heavily playing 40k because I was just getting into it. Uh, and I still never took them. And I, I think that probably speaks to an issue that they were not impactful. 
I think but that here you have a better chance to swing at that. It's also like with eighth and ninth edition, it was much easier to kind of hand wave those things because you already had so many options. Like yeah. your army itself already could do a billion things because of how many stratagems. Like, uh, I'll use Garden as an example. Garden didn't have a ninth edition book for like the first, for most of the edition. I would say like three fourths of the edition, and I they mean, still stayed longer, probably. Yeah, like they stayed mostly relevant, like at least in casual settings. Maybe not on the top end of competitive because of how wide their strategy pool was, which is another reason I like these. Is that it? It shortens that because some armies are not going to have thirty seven stratagems. <laughs> <laughs> Some armies will only have six or seven. And I'm glad they roll all detachments only have six or seven. And then shared ones for everyone to use. Yeah, the neutral ones, which everyone can get access to. Which I'm a fan of. Yeah, and um, it, it kind of brings me to my next point in that keywords, right? Mm-hmm. The shared stratagems are good because it keeps us having roughly the same amount of stratagems we're currently using but they're recognizable, right? Like if I use the, I don't know, command point reroll stratagem, you know what that is because you use it too. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to be like, if I if I go, if I use my tactical benefactorum stratagem, you're like, what? who's a, what's it? What the fuck is that? Oh, it's a reroll. Why the fuck didn't you just say that? <laughs> <laughs> like we've had that conversation, have we not? <laughs> we have, yeah. Or, uh, you know, oh, I have a four-up dauntless willpower roll. What the fuck's that? Oh, it's a field opaque. Just say field opaque. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is why I'm glad keywords are coming back, because they're they're harder to learn up front. Like, I think our, our first game day is going to be a it's whole... It's going to be rough. It's going to be it's a, gonna whole be a whole lot of double-checking. Yeah. I, feel, I wonder... Okay. Okay, what if we printed out quick references for the keywords? Are we going to have a list of keywords beforehand to be able to do that with? Maybe? Yeah. All I'm saying is one page per person would be helpful. Yeah. Like, here's your handout. Take your keywords. Take your keywords. Take yeah. your keywords. Uh, probably do that for the core strategies as well. Mm-hmm. Something we used to do in 7th and 8th edition because you used to have a chart that was like, if you have this weapon skill versus this weapon skill, you're on this to hit. Uh, we mm. used to have those charts on the shop, like on the wall, so people could be like, uh, four up. Like, it was very handy. Yeah, I don't want it to end up, like, playing tabletop where you have to, like, remember your modifiers. Oh, it's the number. It's real simple. It's the number. Minus ten, divide by two, round down, and that'll give you your variable. Just But don't forget about your you circumstantial know. bonus. <laughs> I'd rather just have... A handout. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, I didn't know that they had, uh, prior to this, had consolidated keywords. Yeah, like, I'm I'm happy with consolidated keywords. And it was my favorite thing about 7th edition, right? When I, when I used World Eaters Berserkers versus Blood Angels Assault Marines, we mm-hmm. both had similar rules, but slightly different. So, like, there used to be a thing called Furious Charge, which was plus one attack on the charge. There's also a thing called Rage that was plus one strength on the charge. But there was also things like... Knowledge Test. Here we go. Feel No Pain. Deep Strike. All of these <laughs> things were just keywords that told you what a unit had. 
And it makes sense for Marine armies, so those are the same. You're like, oh, that makes Marine versus Marine way easier. They use the same keywords for Tyranids. They use the same keywords for Eldar, for Dark Eldar. So you could play against someone brand new. And you 100% could know what their army did. Like what each unit did. Because they could rattle off like, oh yeah, this is like a 3-up armor save T5 dude with feel no pain. You're like, oh, I know what that is. I know what that do. That's simple. Mm -hmm. Um, You didn't have to be like, well, I get this because of this and this because of this. You're like, nope, these are my keywords. Um, It was very consolidated. It was very easy. It was very good. And sometimes they would add keywords um, randomly. And they would say what units got them. It would be crazy. Uh, Some of the keywords were nonsense and useless, though, I will say. Like night fighting. Never even heard anyone reference it. So there used to be this... It was called... Improved senses, because there used to be a rule called night fighting. They rolled four at the beginning of the game, and on a three-up, the first round would be night fighting, right? Where mm-hmm. you could not target someone more than 12 inches away. Too and, dark. Yeah. And then, second turn, you would roll on a four-up to see if it continued, right? And you would do this every game. If you had night fighting, you could ignore that penalty. Cool. So, like, Tau had night fighting because of their tech. Like, that was one of their mm-hmm. mechanics. Uh, really glad... nods. Love that. Yeah, really glad it's not going to be a thing because it kind of made some stuff nonsense. Like, super good. Um, like, do you, you know the From the Greater Good Overwatch ability? Mm-hmm. Yep. That was originally a keyword. Uh, anything with the Greater Good keyword could do Overwatch around anything else with the From the Greater Good keyword Mm -hmm. that was still a thing in eighth i'm familiar with that like it started in seventh and it was a keyword that they got because that's something that they did in seventh edition was like factions also got unique keywords which made it a little more confusing Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't think they're doing that here Uh, but the the weapon keywords also made things much easier because then when your opponent goes oh i have Instead of every weapon having a special unique ability, they would just be like, I have these keywords. Mm-hmm. Like a Dark Lance and a Last Cannon ostensibly did the same thing with slight variation because they had the same keywords. Makes it a lot a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and easy to explain to your opponent. Like That's the thing I'm the most excited with keywords is it opens up a lot of combo potential. It opens up a lot of like choice in weapon choices and army choices but overall it makes it much easier to explain to your opponent what you're doing so they can make an educated choice and they don't feel like they're getting got yeah because the thing that's been really weird for us is like you know obviously when you're fighting someone new or someone whose units you do not know you'll ask hey what does that thing do uh and they might explain it to you like oh yeah like it has a deep strike But the wording on all of them is not uniform. So, like, you might think you understand, okay, that thing deep strikes. But if that thing's wording around the deep strike or the restrictions are different, it might do something very, very different than to what you're anticipating and you get gotcha. Like, that's an issue that has come up in, like, 8th and ninth Because of slightly different wordings and these individualistic Mm -hmm. keywords. And, uh... Yeah, I look forward to that not being a problem now. Yeah. We're speaking just like a universal language that is the same 
across the board. And the only thing that is a potential worry with the universal language is that some units, some armies will just do that universal language better. But uh-huh. I think that's just easier to balance than having to rewrite the wording for everything constantly. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think people want rules granularity in wording. They want rules granularity in choices. Yeah. Um, that, is, that is what it is. And like, I'll use an example. Armor of Contempt, right? It was not great. But have, it was a band-aid. It was basically a keyword. Like, it was a keyword they handed out to a bunch of people, and they didn't want to call it that. They're like, oh, yeah, armor of contempt. Everyone was like, oh, uh, power armor. Well, then, what about Sisters of Battle? Oh, we forgot they had power armor. Uh, I guess they get it, too. Well, what about these, like, obscure, random, like, models from the Inquisition? Do they get it? Uh, fuck it. Sure. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what about custodies? Uh, No. What? <laughs> yeah, you could just put it on them. Like, you just put it on them. You just put them, like, the armor contempt on them. Done. Yeah. Keyword. Yeah. Done. Yeah, the keyword itself was clear on what it did, but who got it was not clear. Oh, uh, could you imagine if they brought back insta-kill weapons? Ugh. Ugh. That'd be good. They used to have these weapons that if any wounds got through whatsoever, the whole model would die. That's amazing. It was insta-kill. It worked on monsters, worked on everything. Like... <laughs> for some weapons, though, I'm here for it. Yeah. Stuff that's, like, real big and heinous. Yeah, but they yeah. also gave that to Grey Knights on all of their melee weapons if they cast a psychic power. Okay, that's a little much. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's a lot, of, like, across the board, like, I think of things that have, like, big old death beams, right? The big, big stuff. Like, the big old, the towel stomper, uh, the the big, big knights with, like, the harpoon thingy. Uh, the Eldar big Wraith Lord cannon thing, the big Eldar knight, um, the Necron giant weapons, the Eradicators, like, okay, cool, 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 cool. On the big Lords of War, they hit something, it dies. But, like, Grey Knights? Yeah. They just got swords. Yeah, so, like, (laughs) force weapons used to not just be, like, better power swords, they used to use be able to cast a spell that you would turn your force weapons into insta-kill weapons. So any any psyker could just be rolling around with like an insta-kill sword. They're just swords! Yeah. It uh, seems like a lot to me. Yeah. It seems like a lot. I'm it, here for it on the big cannons. <laughs> it's, it's okay though, because Grey Knights also costed like three times as much as a normal Space Marine back then, so... Mm, yeah. I don't know if those balance out, but... At least it's something. They also still only had one wound because all Space Marines had wound wounds back then. We were they That's didn't have painful. the Primaris. Space Marines and Guardsmen, same number of wound. Yeah. Only difference is one toughness and a slightly better armor safe. And one better armor. <laughs> Wowie. Best humanity could provide. What I'm really hoping for is that the beginning of 10th edition doesn't have the conscript bomb that they had in the beginning of 8th where they were like... Like, as something, a build of that degree. Because that was nuts. Like, I played a game against an old friend named Toby who just brought, like, oh, yes, I brought 250 conscripts and six commissars. Like, that's... <laughs> just swamping the board in unwashed prisoner bodies. Yes. Like, I lost the game because I could not get on objectives. No, you can't kill them fast enough. No. They just keep coming. That's Skaven in 40k. Yeah. 
that can technically wound anything on a six to wound. Love that. Yeah, it was great. Great. Glad they fixed that. But we've heard about all of these rules that are interesting and callbacks to an old edition. Uh, but why is this good, right? Because I, I overall, spoiler, think it's good. We talked about it earlier on. And I think it's good because at the end of the day, it is showing that GW isn't going to try to reinvent the wheel every time there's a new edition, but they're just going to try to refine it. They've done it through 8th mm-hmm. and ninth, and during a big reset from ninth to 10th, because that's what this is, is a big reset. They're not just throwing everything in the trash. They're taking stuff that worked from previous editions and bringing it up and keeping what worked in the previous edition. So they're iterating on this instead of just trying to go back to the drawing board like they did with 8th. Uh, when they went to 8th from 7th, they completely threw out all of the 7th edition stuff. And it's very interesting that they chose not to do that this time. And I think that mm-hmm. shows a healthier game design space. I think it shows a more cognizant of their rules GW. Yeah. Um, and this is stuff I have not played in 7th. Like I said at the beginning of the show, I started in 8th. So, like, I missed 7th and 6th, and I just really heard old tales about it. Um, But I've seen some of these rules implemented in other games, uh, primarily Song of Ice and Fire, which we've played quite a bit of. Mm -hmm. Um, That is the first time I saw the idea of, like, you have a unit on their tray, and you can pay money to give them a hero leading it. And that hero, you know, brings buffs, much like it's going to do here to that whole unit. It can add keywords, what have you. Uh, the amount of list building depth that that brings is immense mm-hmm. um, because it opens up the sort of build possibilities to include things that aren't just killy, mm-hmm. which at 40k oftentimes in 8th and ninth, it felt like the heroes I was bringing were the ones that were turbo turbo killy because you had to. But in stuff where they're giving a buff to the rest of their unit... Now, you might bring a guy who doesn't shoot or hit for anything useful, but his buff to his unit is incredible, yet you're going to bring him anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, it does matter. It does matter. He's bringing something else to the table that you want. Um, and bringing that to 40k, I think, with their number of heroes, could open up a ton of interesting options uh, for heroes that maybe in the recent memory have not been... T- taken a lot which is cool i'm a fan of anything that increases the number of viable options for people to sort of tinker and play with to their heart's content yeah i think it creates a lot of like levers and pulleys that they can be pulled on for balance reasons and also just as players right like uh we mostly play within our own local group and like local is really really in quotes there yeah because we it's over like three states but it's like, we have a core group of people we play with on a fairly regular basis. And when we play, we could, it, it makes it much easier to be like, hey, like, we know this one detachment is busted, is cranked. Please don't play that one detachment. Because they, they, it's much easier just to avoid a detachment than it is to avoid, like, whole-ass armies. Yeah, you really get into trouble when it's only down to armies or nothing. That creates an immense amount of feel bad. But honestly, I don't think that's going to necessarily be the case because if you look at army construction 
in the way that it looks like it's going in 10th. It looks like there's more than just the, does it kill good, does it not die good? There is also, does it hold objective well? Does it move well? Does it do these other things I need to be doing in this game to be functional? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only question is, you know, will something end up with too much of all of that? Yes. But that remains to be seen. But hopefully the power is locked to detachments more. Um, and then the units are just like tricky tool pieces that you use to uh, accentuate your detachment's overall goal. Which I think is cool. And, uh, and, and for me, like especially speaking of detachments like being understood, I think the keyword's similar. Like a lot of power is going to be locked to the keyword. You can just move keywords around however you have to, to, to fit your flavor, which is great. Yeah. And I think limiting some armies' options is just good. Mm-hmm. Like, I think oftentimes you will see some form of Imperium soup uh, or Chaos soup dominate because you can just cherry pick stuff from like nine books. It's a smorgasbord. They're at the. They're at the Golden Corral buffet line, picking out the, like the golden plate. Everyone else, you get what you get. Well, I won't say everyone else. Many other factions, you don't have those options. Yeah, like look at Tau. But, and then when they've given it to Tau before, because I didn't even tell you about the thing they used to do. Oh, oh, the allies thing, Joe. They used to do allies. There was an allies chart. So some things you were battle brothers. You could bring them like. Space Marine, other Space Marines, Battle Brothers. You can bring them all the time. Uh, Tau and Eldar were allies of convenience, where you could kind of bring things, but you had to bring, like, HQs of things. You couldn't just, like, drag and drop everything. But they could give each other psychic powers and buffs, so you could take all of the Eldar, like, psychic powers that give you, like, super consistency for shooting and put it on Riptides. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> um, you that sounds able, tough. You used to be able to put guidance on riptides. Uh, then they took that away, and then people were like, "Oh, that's fine." Uh, what about debuffs? And then they would start putting doom on things. So you could put doom on units, and then have riptides shoot them and get a bunch of rerolls to wound. And it was it was just not fun. Like it was yeah, don't it was no bad time. No, because if you didn't know, the Tau and the Eldar. Fast friends. They actually they are fight not. everything together. <laughs> they are absolutely not. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. You keep the soup away. I'm not a soup fan. So this seems to be mitigating some of that, which I'm a fan of. You know, uh, I like armies being built out of their army book, not out of everyone's army book. I like soup sometimes, but like in very unique situations. Like I think like a guard. With like a half a guard, like most of a guard army mixed with like genes of their cults. That's a fun suit because like it, it makes sense. Like it's narrative there. But um, you're just playing GSC. Yes, but they need like n- the entire guard book doesn't exist in the GSC book. Or like Adeptus Mechanicus bringing a knight. Like that feels very good. But when people were like, I brought my company commander and three units of guardsmen to bring all of my knights to fuel the command point farm. Like, that felt bad. It was weird. Yeah. 
It was very weird. It it felt almost like the Transformers movies, where like you had a bunch of humans running around doing tiny little things while all the monsters fought, like all the robots fought. <laughs> well, all the robots fired huge plasma cannons at each other. Yeah, and everyone scampered like squirrels underneath their feet. Uh, honestly, that unit, like that army list in my head forever, will now be remembered as uh, sixty Shia LaBeoufs <laughs> with <laughs> with like seven. Optimus Primes. <laughs> I love that. I'm a huge fan of that. Uh, in theory, I did not like it on the tabletop. It felt weird. I'm very sensitive to Ludo narrative dissonance, and that felt really, really off. Or the guard custodies one, where you would bring a bunch of custodies uh, that were like just powerhouses, and they would be fueled by the command point generation of guards. Farm? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, these brilliant uh, yeah. tactical strategists are going to be told what to do by fucking pee, uh, old military people. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, Papa Ted. He certainly knows what's going on. He can't read above a first gain level, but the custodies are taking his orders. Uh, yeah, it just it don't work for me. Uh, and I think we'll see less of that in the new edition, or at least I hope so, because of the way detachments will, from what we've seen, will work. <laughs> I think that's the way we got to wrap it up is this is early days where yes. we are talking about it. And who knows if there's stuff outside of this that we are missing context for uh, and that our opinions may shift quickly. But hopefully that's not the case. And we can revisit this later to see if we were gloriously wrong. Could be. I'm yeah. always willing to believe that I'm terribly, terribly wrong. Uh, yeah. I'm going to love in like six months we're sitting there talking and be like, man, we said that this wasn't going to happen and it 100% happened and we are fucked. <laughs> <laughs> we're terrible. We can't call anything. Uh, I don't know. Fingers crossed that's not the case. But we'll see. Um, but we, speaking of, you know, stuff coming out, there is going to be Warhammer Fest coming out in a week, as we mentioned at the beginning. We are going to probably be doing some talking about Warhammer Fest Yes. after that, just to prep everybody. Hopefully we come out of that with an idea of what the box set is. Hopefully we know when the release is. Uh, as well as, like, a lot of the stuff that needs context around the game, hopefully we'll get it at Warhammer Fest. So uh, stay tuned as we work on the next episode, which uh, hopefully will bring some much-needed concrete answers to questions that we've just up until now been stuck just give it a little shrug to yes who knows um and we are getting ready for a big push when 10th drops to try to get everybody up to speed uh we are doing quite a bit of work behind the scenes to try to get ready for that so uh stay tuned and if you've got any thoughts about how wrong we are and you want to tell us uh, feel free to send it over on Instagram or Twitter. We are on both. Uh, we would love to hear how wrong we are or hear your ideas for stuff you want to hear us talk about, about 10th or anything else. We always appreciate it, and they're always open. Now, that's been all of our opinions. Bonafide, Kentucky Fried. We'll see you all in the next one.